This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. Great to have you with us. On today's show, we are covering tech, mental health, physical health and education too. We are finding out whose cholesterol level was perfect and whose was off the chart with Dr. Hassan, expert cardiologist, and what you need to know about your risk factors. That good, that bad cholesterol. We had top tips for budding entrepreneurs with Spencer Lodge. Why do some people ghost? We asked Dr. Thiraya. Nothing spooky, I promise. But dating friendships and even in the workplace, is this a modern phenomenon? Kevin Sebastian was on hand to explain how our gadgets are spying on us and giving us the latest tech news too. And we had Dame Heather McGregor joining us from Harriet Watt, explaining how education systems need to keep pace with the modern world. If you are confused about your cholesterol or maybe don't even know what those numbers mean. Maybe I've never even had it tested. You're in the right place because we've got one of the best in the business. Dr. Hassan Al-Tamimi, Professor of Cardio- Cardiovascular Medicine, Mohammed bin Rashid University of Medicine Health Sciences and the Head of the Cardiology Department at Medi Clinic Parkview Hospital is here in the hot seat to help us out. So if you've got any questions about your health, maybe to do with your parents, risk factors, maybe you don't understand those numbers, reach out to us. You can be anonymous if you prefer. I know you're incredibly busy, doctor, so thank you for making time to come in for a chat. How are you? Thank you. Hi. Good afternoon. Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, I know this is very much your bread and butter, so I'm going to ask you to keep things as simple as possible for us, if that's okay. And we're going to start with the absolute basic. When we're saying cholesterol, what are we talking about? Yes, I think it's a good base uh, question. Cholesterol is a, a fatty substance that the body produces for uh, biological reasons. Uh, cholesterol is important for cell function, for hormones, and uh, for multiple other things, particularly vitamins, vitamin D and all fat-soluble vitamins. Now, there is always a balance in the body. So people, yes, cholesterol is important, but like anything else, if it's over a certain limit, then it gives you the bad effect of it. Okay. Like sugar is good for you, but if you take too much, you'll be diabetic. And hopefully, because this is the equation with, with, with you know, the social media is hitting that you need cholesterol, yes, but when it's ex- in excess, it sits on your arteries and create problems. Now, can you explain good and bad cholesterol? What are we talking about there, Dr. Hassan? Absolutely. I think, uh, uh, you know, usually when you have uh, done your lipid profile, you have certain numbers. So you have the total cholesterol, which includes uh, three parameters, your LDL, which is the bad cholesterol, and this is the one that blocks your arteries, the good cholesterol, the HDL. And this is good. It's a cholesterol, but its functionality is to take the bad cholesterol from the, your arteries and take it to the liver to get rid of. So if you've got a good level of that, it means your body's functioning well as the process is working. Absolutely. And therefore, okay. when you look at your total cholesterol, it may be high because your good cholesterol is high. Okay. And the last one is triglycerides. It's another component of the lipid profile. And it's important, but the main issue that we focus on when we treat our patients is LDL because uh, treatment has shown uh, reducing LDL can reduce cardiovascular risk, strokes, and heart attacks. That's what I was going to ask you. If that bad number is high and is left untreated, what can the consequences 
of that cholesterol level be? Absolutely. So uh, when anybody does their lipid profile, and they, I think there are two issues I'd like to raise here. First of all, not everybody should have the same uh, cholesterol or any of these parameters because you need somebody who is 30 years old, no risk factors, their cholesterol should be different from somebody who had just had a heart attack and uh, had two stents. So w- what we're talking about is that number cannot be viewed in isolation. Absolutely. There's context around it. Absolutely. And that's for when you look at your uh, lipid profile and you look at the range, this is misleading. Okay. Right. Good question. Okay. So when we're talking about risk factors that you've just mentioned, what are some of the things people need to kind of take into consideration to find out really which risk level or which risk, risk group they're in? Absolutely. So... Uh, For me, in my clinic, every patient will get risk assessment. And actually, it's available uh, on the net. You have calculators, the Q-Risk, the the UK one, the American, the European score. So we need to assess the risk factors. So that would include age, gender, total cholesterol, HDL, high blood pressure, and smoking. What about genetic factors when it comes to cholesterol? So, though? yeah, I think genetics is is key to because you know we talk about lifestyle changes, we talk about medication, but it's frustrating for people who do their utmost mm-hmm. and still the, their number does not move. We've and this it. is where genetics kick in and it, it's, it's major. I think for a lot of people, there's a lot of confusion about the what next. You know, you get that result and then you go, okay, well, do I go down the lifestyle route in terms of, you know, how much control do I have over this? You know, using diet, using supplements, lifestyle factors, and when, when is medicine required? Yeah. So can we talk treatments and how you ultimately, as a cardiologist, really help decide a treatment plan for somebody? Absolutely. I think uh, we have a scale uh, and I need to raise the issue about our body's ability to clear cholesterol. And this is genetically determined. And how we, do we clear cholesterol is through receptors on the liver cells. So you have a whole scale. People who have familial hypercholesterolemia, particularly the homozygote, they have no receptors. They get heart attacks at the age of 10. On the other side of the scale, you have people who can process cholesterol very effectively. This is all genetically controlled. So I, I, I printed off my cholesterol results for you to have a little look at because I wanted an expert take. I had, my, I had my lipid test done about a month ago. Actually, I'm envious of your blood test. <laughs> so I just gave Dr. Hassan, I was like, this number, I know, it, I know my good cholesterol is very good, but is it too high? And you said, no. but no. look at this. I mean, I think, I mean, this is perfect. And your LDL is 37. Uh, okay. And this is by all measure, the lowest I've seen for a long time. <gasps> So I don't know, what are you doing? And maybe you should advise your audience. <laughs> maybe, I have to say, I'm not doing anything special. Can we, let me no, put it down to my healthy Then diet. you have good genes. Yeah, I think that probably is it. Absolutely. Now, the other good thing is your, in red, is your HDL, which is 92. This is unbelievable. And by the way, there's a, a village in northern Italy. They have HDL above 100 and their average age is 97. So that's a huge indicator. And as you can see, it's in the red. 
and the range. That's what, that's what scared me. That's why I wanted to show it to you. That's a good red. Okay, fine. Maybe it's all the olive oil I have. Could that be a factor? Absolutely. We're going to be talking diet, lifestyle factors, supplements next. We've had a number of questions. For our expert of the hour, joining us live in the studio is the head of the cardiology department at Mediclinic Parkview Hospital, Dr. Hassan Altamimi is here. Sharon wants to know about the difference between expensive and cheaper statins. I've also had a message here saying, is there any truth that eating grapefruit lowers cholesterol? We'll find out. This content is for informational purposes only and is not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. It's your health clinic this afternoon and joining us is the head of the cardiology department at Mediclinic Parkview. We've got Dr. Hassan Al-Tamimi with us live. He's a professor of cardiovascular medicine and on hand to take my questions and yours. And I wanted to come back to a couple of things you said earlier, uh, Dr. Hassan. We were talking about risk factors and which, rich gr- which risk group people fall into. And you mentioned gender. And I wondered why. What, what role does that play in terms of assessing cholesterol and risk factor? Uh, absolutely. I think this is key because uh, women are protected by their hormones, primarily progesterone, and therefore the risk of having a heart attack and uh, stroke and whatever, and even even if they have a bit of high cholesterol, uh, we take our time because hormones play a major role. Mm-hmm. Unlike men, the moment you hit the 40, you are in big trouble. Okay. Um, And what about geography? You've worked in the US, the UK, here in Dubai, of course. What have you noticed in terms of prevalence? Uh, I think this is a key question. And um, there is a disparity. Uh, Imagine uh, people coming with a heart attack in the Gulf area, and particularly in the UAE, around the age of 50, which is 15 years younger than their counterpart in Europe and the US. Why? prevalence of major risk factors. Diabetes is a major issue. Mm-hmm. Actually, one in five Emiratis is diabetic. Hypertension, smoking, lack of exercise. So when we uh, assess our patient, it's not about cholesterol or diabetes. It's a global issue. And, and you know, the basic issue we treat is the blood vessels, the vasculature, mm-hmm. because all these risk factors and all the treatment is to improve the health of your arteries, particularly your brain and your heart and the kidney. If you've got any questions for Dr. Hassan, you're going to need to be quick. We've stolen away from Clinica Parkview for just a few more minutes. Um, Sharon's asking on the text line, what's the difference between expensive and cheaper statins? And do cheaper ones have more side effects? So let's talk treatment. What exactly are statins and what do they do when treating cholesterol? So uh, the body produces uh, cholesterol via a chemical pathway where it, uh, it's, there is a formula where certain uh, compounds in the body are transferred into cholesterol. So two ways to approach this. Either you block the synthesis of cholesterol mm. or you facilitate its clearance. Now, statins block the synthesis. And therefore, sometimes you talk about the side effects and this primarily muscle and, and, and this could be possible because you are preventing the synthesis of cholesterol. Okay. Now, statin work this way, and they've been around for 35 years. And they have shown over the years extreme effectiveness in reducing heart attack and stroke. To come to Sharon's point, is there a difference between the expensive ones and the cheaper ones? Uh, you know, frankly, you need to get it. I mean, certain parts of the world, 
they cannot afford certain. Uh, so the whole there may be some differences in the 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 the, the chemical formula, but actually they are statins. Okay. Uh, you know, so I don't feel there is a major difference there. We need to give it to patients. And a question from Asma saying, "Hi, doctor, is there any truth that eating grapefruit lowers bad cholesterol?" <sighs> you know. It's grapefruit or apple cider or, (laughs) frankly, actually grapefruit, I don't like it in particular because it interferes with many medications. Ah, interesting. There is an enzyme called cytochrome P450. So, no. Okay, I'll take it. I'll take a hard no. That's fine. Now we've just been talking about, and I'm going to blow my own trumpet here. My excellent cholesterol. We're bringing in the girl from the naughty corner now. Producer Poonam's in the studio. Can I just say the highest examination result I've ever received in my whole life from university students studying is my cholesterol levels. <laughs> She's scoring off the charts. <laughs> off the charts. Tell me about it, doctor. No, no I want to hear your story first, Poonam. Before we get to your results, give us a little bit of background so- on on how you've discovered that you've had high cholesterol and what's been going on? So I've always been a complete sports freak, very active, ate really well. We didn't eat takeaways back home. We would eat at home healthy food. And then my brother, who's an optician, said to me several years ago, he looked in my eyes and he said, you've got high cholesterol. I said, how can you tell? But obviously as opticians, they spot things. So um, I went to get a check and the doctor said, it is off the charts. I don't know what you're doing. So then we think it's a genetic test. We tried that too. Then here... Um, uh, I did a CT calcium test, which I'd never heard of. And they said, everything's clear. But they said, because you're off the charts, you need to take statins. Now, I'm very holistic. So I tried to, I tried homeopath. It did reduce it, but not enough. So here's my thing. If my CT calcium score is clear, do I need to take statins? Well, I, I hate to compare your results with Helen's. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. I did, really, Go I did on. good, but I did bad. But I tell you what, uh, you know, to have a, a total cholesterol above 300, that immediately puts you in the high risk. I'm a walking think, heart attack, aren't I? Absolutely. Oh. I think you're lucky you have a brother who could see, because to get these external symptoms, that means your cholesterol immediately above 300. Now, uh, this puts you immediately in the high risk group. I think CT angio or CT calcium score does not do it for us. Because you may not have, it's, it may be normal, and it's looking at calcium, but you may have a plaque of 20-30%, which is insignificant, and it ruptures, leading to heart attack. So I think you being sporty and holistic helped you Oh, wow, to survive, survive this attack. long. Absolutely. Okay. So what about doing a regular liver cleanse? Because that's where it comes from, the cholesterol. That doesn't make any difference with my levels. No, no because your body is unable to clear cholesterol. And what about and side simple. effects of statins? Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, you have to try it. Yeah. If you get side effects, we will help. There are other possibilities mm. to help. But in your situation, I'm surprised you waited all this time. And I'm still alive. I'm glad you are, Poonam. So if Poonam came into your clinic at Parkview, doctor, what would you be advising? What would your treatment plan be for my producer that I really need to keep around, if you don't mind? Yeah. So I think a key issue here is where, when you see a patient, what's their risk score? Mm-hmm. Are they low risk, medium risk? High, very high, and now we have a category of extremely high. And each category, you would have a particular LDL. So, so which f- one? Which category? So am I? for you, I didn't even have to ask you whether you have <laughs> hypertension or diabetes. You are a high risk, oh. and that means your score is above ten percent. Okay. Now, 
which is manageable. Mm-hmm. So uh, what we are going to do is to put you on a statin. I usually start with a sort of medium dose with this number. And, of course, you're doing all the good things that you do f- to prevent. But then that means I'm on statins for life, right? Yes, of course. Okay. I mean, that's a question I get all the time. Yeah. Am I going to take it for the rest of life? Yes, I would like you to live longer and keep taking the medication. Okay. I want to squeeze in one last question, if you don't mind, Dr. Hassan. Poonam, you can, you can go back to checking the travel and having a lie down oh, in a dark room after mind. that. <laughs> no, no, she is good. I think good. we'll She's take care of her. In safe hands. Yes. Um, for everyone listening today who's, who's thinking or worrying, what would you love everyone today to do, to change, to adjust, to protect their heart health and ultimately keep that bad cholesterol down and boost the good one? As Poonam was saying, we need to know your numbers you need to know your cholesterol, sugar, blood pressure, because these are sometimes, they can take forever to, ta- to be symptomatic. Mm-hmm. So we do executive checkups. You know, you deserve to have a checkup that will entail full blood test and then a stress test or whatever. And that really gives us 80, 85% of risk stratifying you. And if there is any abnormality, we intervene early. We are in the business of prevention. So you can't change what you can't measure. So you need to have that information. You need to know your risk factor. You need to know your score because then you can start making changes. So information is power in this case. Okay. Um, Message here saying, Dr. Hassan has been a great guest. His explanations were so easy to understand. Thank you both. Um, Dr. Hassan, if anyone wants to find you in real life, you are there, as I said, as the head of the cardiology department at MediClinic Parkview. Are you okay if I share your website, your details with people? Okay. We run a very uh, a massive a lipid clinic and we will take care of everybody who has this problem. If you need some reassurance, if we weren't able to get to your message today or indeed you do want to seek Dr. Hassan's advice one-on-one in real life, send me the word doctor. I'll send you his details. Thank you so much for coming in. It's been Thank an absolute you. pleasure. Thanks. I feel a lot more informed and we'll get Poonam in clinic. Thank She'll come to much. your office next time. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Dr. Hassan Al-Tamimi, Professor of Cardiovascular Medicine and the Head of the Cardiology Department at MediClinic Parkview Hospital. As I said, if you want his details, Send me the word doc and I will hook you up. This content is for informational purposes only and does not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. An awful lot of people love the idea of calling themselves an entrepreneur, dream of having their own business, especially post-COVID. But what should you consider before starting one here in the UAE? We're asking, asking the man in the know now, Spencer Lodge, an award-winning podcast host, business strategist, who has done exactly that, building businesses and advising others on how to do it. How are you, sir? Thank you, Helen. Nice to see you today. It's great to have you with us. Now, I'm curious, before we get into some of your building blocks, the essential tips for starting a business, of your credentials. Tell us a little bit about your own business journey. Yeah, mine's been my, I've had some ups and downs along the way and I think it's always important to remember that. Sometimes people paint this picture of this like like that wonderful journey they've been on. Or an overnight success. Yeah, oh yeah, that's right. I, mean, I, I was a millionaire in a minute, you know. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, my journey has been one of, of, of lots of highs and lows and realising like really self-awareness more than anything else what am I good at what am I not good at and and how do I find people to be good at the things I'm not good at Mm -hmm. rather than kind of take on all of this stuff that doesn't actually fit with who I am as a human or even as a professional tell us about growing up then were were you surrounded by entrepreneurs do you think this was going to be a viable or even possible career for you so my parents got divorced when I was seven dad went bankrupt and um, we had nothing and then my mum worked three jobs and I watched my mum work three jobs graft 
and literally put it in. And I was this kid that was watching this happen. And so since that, I've always looked at women in business differently to how maybe other people do. You know, she's my, she's my inspiration. And so my mum really was a great example of what you could do if you put your mind to it. Now, she didn't become a, a, an overnight success, a multimillionaire, but she did well enough to demonstrate that if you put the hard work in and you really, really commit to it, then you'll get somewhere. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about education there and some of that kind of, well, holistic you know, way, ways of learning now. That's not just enough to go to university, study accountant, be accountant until you die. You know, that. And entrepreneurship is huge in the UAE. We've, we've fostered a real culture of encouraging that spirit. And I wondered if you think entrepreneurs are born or built. I think that the skills you need to be a successful business person, lots of them you can learn. The appetite for risk is what something some people don't have. You know, you, you've got to be someone that's really willing to lose everything to be able to be a successful entrepreneur. And I think a lot of people don't get that. They, they're, they're fearful and they, they want the, the positives. You know, they want the kind of sexy part of being an entrepreneur. But then the other aspect of it is quite, um, quite overwhelming and daunting. You've got some key points to, to help clarify if this is the path for you and ultimately start on that journey. Your first one is... You've got to want this. Why is that so crucial, Spencer? Well, you think about desire with anything. You know, you've got to really want to lose weight if you want to lose weight. You've got to really want to be successful. It's got to be something that you really care about and it really matters to you. And it's more important than anything else. And if, that, if that's not how you're focused and you're not thinking of it that way, what's going to happen? If you kind of want something, you'll never get it. So it's the motivation, it's the drive, it's the discipline, it's, it's your why, finding that why. Absolutely. But you've also got to understand that if you're passionate about a particular subject, it doesn't mean you'll be a good entrepreneur. Okay, just because you really care about X or Y doesn't mean you're going to be a great business person. We've seen this in restaurants a lot. I yeah. love eating out. I should totally have my own restaurant. No, just enjoy eating out. Yeah, this that's right. Yeah. Doesn't need to be. I love a, menus. Doesn't need to be a, a, a career. What about trying to balance the stability of having a day job and wanting to build build a career in, in entrepreneurship? Should you quit your day job? No, whatever you do, do not quit your day job. Okay, and I can't stress this enough to people. When you, if you're going to start on this entrepreneurial journey, you need to make sure you've got some foundations in place. And number one, you might need a bit of money behind you. And so don't quit your day job. Also, do you know it's going to be a success? Are you 100% sure that you're going to like it? Uh, Maybe even love it. And if you're not, then you need to test those things out, don't you? So talk to us then about the research, the studying, the not surrounding yourself with friends and family who go, do you know what? That's such a good idea. You should do it. How do you test the waters to see if what might be solving a problem for you could ultimately be a problem solving business? Bizarrely, one great way that you can understand whether there is a need for the product or service that you want to sell, the business you want to start, is to go with a clipboard. And go and ask people in a shopping centre and just ask them their opinion. If you were to ask 150 people a day for a few days, you'd get maybe four, five, six hundred people giving you feedback on whether that idea was good. If that feedback's positive, then that's a great, a great example of what might be going right. You can do that online as well. You can go into various groups on social media and just say, what do you think? Now, a lot of entrepreneurs are like, but this is my idea. I don't want to share it with anybody. It's like this top secret. But you really need to get over that. Joining us live now, Spencer Lodge, award-winning podcast host, business strategist, the man behind multi-million dollar businesses. And we've stolen them away for just 10 more minutes to answer my questions and yours regarding building a successful business. Now, what do you think is the secret sauce? You know, we see an awful lot of businesses start here and fail here, unfortunately. When people are coming to you for advice, what are some of the big challenges that they're facing, Spencer? 
So a lot of businesses aren't clear on what their goals are, what they're trying to achieve. You know, more and better seems to be a term that you hear a lot. And I think a lot of companies need to say, where are we going? And then let's reverse engineer that and work back to understand what we need to do to get there. That's one thing. And then what is a business? A business is a group of people that have got a product or a service or some kind of offering that they're putting out there. That group of people essentially everything to the business. So do we understand what type of culture we have in our business? Do we really understand, you know, what makes our employees tick? Do we know how to get the best out of them? Do we know how to fight to get them fully engaged? Um, and are we clear on, on the kind of people that we want in the business too? And often that mistake is made, you know, recruitment. This is an interesting statistic or fact. If you <coughs> interview people yourself, typically you're not very good at interviewing because you don't do it professionally. You will decide in the first 30 seconds whether you like somebody or not. And then you'll look for other things to like about that person during the interview and vice versa. Yeah. Look for things you won't like. Confirmation so, bias. <clears throat> well, what happens then is that are you recruiting the right people into your business because you're no pro at that. Mm -hmm. And so also with that big demand of people trying to find uh, uh, companies trying to find employees at the moment, how can you find great people very easily? And so that's a big challenge. Well, that's relating to a message we've got here from Jay saying, would you recommend starting a business with a friend or relative? It's someone I trust, but I have seen a few relationships break down once a business fails or even money getting in the way. So I've started a business with a friend before and it's failed. I've started a business with uh, somebody that worked for me that then we became good friends and we have been in business together for the last 18 years or so. And with the business that we've got, she's literally the figurehead of the business anyway. So that, that, that works perfectly for me. And I guess it's in terms of that clarity. Just because you really know and like someone doesn't mean you shouldn't have a contract. <laughs> you must have a good no, Whatever you do, never do. This old-fashioned thing we used to do, uh, my word is my bond, you know. It's a gentleman's agreement. <laughs> we'll shake hands. Mm -hmm. no, no, everything always must be documented, must be. Because do agreements and documents and contracts are there in case something goes wrong. Not in case something goes right. Because mm -hmm. we're all looking optimistically at something. We're not understanding what could go wrong. What about the dreaded business plan? You have a great idea. Everyone says it's fantastic. And then you have to start nailing down the numbers. Any insights there, Spencer Lodge? Look, some people are adept at writing great business plans and some people aren't. But you can find outside sources that can help you do that. A great idea is not a great business. Okay, it really isn't a great. Oh, I've, I, I've thought of something nobody else has thought of. Doesn't mean that other people care about it. Doesn't mean other people want it. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. Just because yeah you've thought of it people might have thought about it before and it's never materialized as business for them before um so business plan it can be outsourced um what about you mentioned the word figurehead there what about being the face of a business and i guess networking making those connections especially in a place like dubai how do you feel about networking, Spencer? Look, I don't, I don't really enjoy networking, me but either. I have an interesting story around that. Haider Ali Khan of Bayut sat and told me once that he went to networking events, over 100 of them, over the course of a year Whoa. before Bayut got off the ground. And he said, we went to these events. We didn't know what we were talking about at first. We didn't know how to network at first. And slowly we came together and it worked for us. Look, you need to know people. You need to get out there. And if you have social anxiety, as we've spoken about earlier, mm -hmm. it's like really understanding what the value is of going there. So you go there and you say, I'm going to network. I'm going to meet five people and I'm going to have five valuable conversations tonight. And then that then gives you an outcome for the effort you put in yeah. rather than me. That's the guy in the corner looking at the mobile phone thinking, how do I get out of here? <laughs> Quick. <laughs> Take no, me home. But it is, a, it is a muscle in terms of, you know, just normalizing exposure therapy as a psychologist might say what about financing you've got a great idea you know those people in the mall have said it's fantastic and actually you have identified a gap you perhaps could be solving a problem but you don't have the capital 
What do you tend to advise for people in that situation? Well, that leans back to the point I made earlier, because if you've got a job, save some money, use some of your own savings, demonstrate that you're willing to put your money where your mouth is yourself before you ask other people to commit their own money, Mm -hmm. because that demonstrates that you're committed in the same way that you'd ask anybody else to commit. Murad's asking, great question, Murad. What's been the biggest mistake in business that you've made and what's been the best decision? Biggest mistake I've made. There's just so many of them. I've made so many countless mistakes. But but, but I mean, honestly, Murad, I can't stress... I've made them over and over and over again. Some mistakes I've made the same mistake over and again. And I, and I, 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 I criticise myself a lot for that. The best decision I made was my business partner, Danielle, is literally the yin to my yang. She's so good. And she, she fits in. Let's say I'm 10% of the business. She's 90%. She's, she's that. And when you can find somebody that can literally understand what you're strong at, what you're weak mm-hmm. at, can work around you and then can bring ideas to the table, that kind of person around you, I think, is really, really valuable for a business. And Danielle, without, without a shadow of a doubt, she was the best decision. What about how long you should give a business? Great question here from Reem saying, how long should you give a new business to take off? Um, she's saying, I'm not going to say the name of the brand, but I started a sustainable fashion brand many years ago. It didn't do well um, as people weren't as concerned with the planet as we are now. After two years of promoting it, doing pop-up markets, I gave up and I'm wondering maybe I should have stuck with it longer. When should you just say enough is enough? Okay, there's a famous lady called Dame Stephanie Shirley. She's 90 years old next week. I interviewed on the podcast a few weeks ago. She didn't pay a dividend in her business for 25 years, then sold the company for $3 billion. Just got goosebumps. She employed only females, okay, into the business for the first 10 years or so until she had to employ some men. She is the long game player beyond belief. She then took the money that she sold the business for and she donated it all to autism research because her son was autistic. So... You want to get in and get out quickly. Business isn't about that. You should be, you should look, I say you should look at a 10 year window. You've got to be making profit, I think, after three years, but you should be looking at a 10 year window to be in a business before you think about moving out. Mm. Or you bring other people in to help run that business and take over the running on a day to day basis so that you can move on to other things that might interest you. What about mindset, though? You know, what about. I just feel like I'm flogging a bit of a dead horse here. You know, how can you stay positive? What and, you, and how have you how have you kind of clawed yourself out of those, you know, those peaks and troughs that you mentioned earlier? Every single person on this planet has had a dark day, a dark time, a dark moment. People have suffered with depression and clinically as well, and I'm one of those people. I think what we've got to understand is how badly do you want this? You know, if you want it really badly and you do all of the research that you can do into understanding entrepreneurship, that's the important thing here to know and be prepared that you're going to have highs, you're going to have lows, there's going to be dark days. And if you know that when it comes, you're prepared. What happens is when you're not prepared for it and it comes, it comes and it smacks you in the face. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be really clear that this, this is this is not look, entrepreneurship. It's not easy. It's not romantic. It's not what you imagine it to be. I know you're on Instagram seeing it and it's all, you know, woo woo. You know, it's yeah, great. But- it's just not. Not like that. And people don't post the dark days on LinkedIn. They're posting the I got this award, I got this grant, etc, etc. You know, it's, it's, it's the highlight reel, not the real deal a lot of the time. Now, for anyone listening today who's saying he hasn't put me off, I do have a great idea. 
<laughs> Any research, resources, um, places to go for training? You know, maybe someone hasn't studied business at university but wants to upskill in mid or later life. Where, where would you be pointing people to, to really start drilling down on some of that knowledge? Mm. Look, there are some great networks. I didn't go to university. I wasn't intelligent enough to get into college either. You know, I, I got one O level and I don't even know how that happened. I was the kid staring out the window. So if you don't have a degree and you don't have a great formal education, that doesn't rule you out. Arguably, that might give you an advantage. There's loads of stuff you can learn online. There's, there's loads of audio books that you can read. You, you know, Your Next 12 Moves by Patrick Bet David is a great book. Good to Great by Jim Collins is a great book. Um, uh, Winning with Jack Welch is a good book. These are books that are really business books that can teach you what it's like to be an entrepreneur. You need to like, really soak them in. Now, whether you read or whether you listen in audio, audio form, you've got to be spending your time doing that. Then what you can do is you can start to look for the people who want to raise money. There's, place, there's a place in London called Angel's Den where you can go with your business idea and you can get coached on how you raise capital for free within your business and those people that coach you are actually investors themselves so there are great places to go just google stuff it's all out there but it's a choice isn't it it's a choice to inform yourself and spend that time and invest in yourself and not ha- and be humble enough to say i don't know it all okay so here's an example of why just lastly why it's important to understand firstly most people are willing to stare at the kardashians on telly every night most people are willing to watch stuff that's nonsense and doesn't help them on tv for hours every night they're willing to scroll aimlessly through nonsense on social media okay that demonstrates to me you don't really have the desire that you need to be a successful entrepreneur you're if you're if you're the person that at night sits there studying sits there putting time into stuff meeting people that can be valuable to them, expanding the network that's the kind of person that will be a successful entrepreneur or at least has a fighting chance message here saying entrepreneurial journey sometimes very lonely would you agree with that sponsor Lodge? it's the loneliest thing i've ever done Who's patting me on the back? No one. I'm going to come around and give you a hug. In a minute. <laughs> um, if anyone wants to contact you directly for any questions we couldn't get to today or find out more about services and insights that you offer, what's the best way of getting in touch in real life and online as well? Good. Um, look, my name sounds like an old people's home, so it's easy to remember Spencer Lodge. So if you just go to spencer.lodge on Instagram, you'll find me. You can message me there. Send me a voice note. I reply to everything myself personally. On LinkedIn, I'm there as well. And you can go to the website, spencerlodge.tv, and you can find me there too. If you missed that, just send me the word biz, and I'll send you some links you can hook up with Spencer Lodge. Thank you so much for your time. Really interesting. I'd love to revisit this down the line. Maybe we can do a bit of a live clinic with more listeners. Ooh, that'd be good. All Thanks, right. Ellen. Sounds like a plan. Spencer Lodge speaking to us. Kevin Sebastian, our local Jedi master, tech enthusiast, Knox Voyager himself is in the studio. We're talking tech this afternoon. How are you, sir? I'm doing quite well. How are you? I'm really well. Yeah, really well. Except um, my, <laughs> I never know if this is coincidence, a new iPhone's coming out and yep. mine hates me, has become super unresponsive. My battery is just going down the toilet <laughs> and I feel like I'm being manipulated. Just in time for the launch event, coincidentally. How, isn't how it? amazing. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty peeved, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, so, well, we all know the iPhone 15 is coming out uh, this evening. It's going to be launched, I think, around 9 p.m. And uh, it's going to be a very interesting time for Apple because they've had not one but two interesting uh, hits to them, actually. One being yesterday with uh, the Chinese government actually banning iPhone iPhones outright for government officials. And who's to say that they're going to not ban them completely in, you know, the uh, entire mainland China? The reason being, and this is like a very obvious, very obvious decision on their end, because one, they obviously cite security concerns, which is fine, fair play. But it also looks like a very tit for tat 
thing that you know because the US did that with Huawei mm-hmm. so with China doing decidedly everyone suddenly buying Huawei phones now here's the problem for Apple in that respect because China is a massive market you are looking at potential millions of loss in fact that million that that loss can be calculated 200 200 billion is about to be wiped off from their market cap because of this decision now the iPhone 15 will obviously stabilize that market cap right and now comes to my second point as to what has been happening with that company because the EU the lovely EU and their lovely bu- uh, bureaucratic practices I don't know anything about it uh, and actually anymore. you know what I support this this is actually the one thing I do support um ha- the next iPhone will not have lightning it won't have a lightning port it'll have be it'll be USB C really yeah so the decision on their end is because the EU wants to standardize and standardize all electronics to have the single usb c port which makes sense because we have a ton of e waste how much how many people change phones every 2 to 3 years too many yeah and we now have a very interesting situation here because apple obviously said we will change it because we have to mm-hmm. not because they want it to and uh that is going to be a mandate straight up for the eu region that includes us as well so Whoa. that is going to be a very interesting time now because of that very same same reason i fully expect apple to actually have usb c but they'll have some proprietary cable that they only you can buy from them because that's i mean that's it would make operate. that's how they operate but it'll be very interesting to see how they do it because a lot of what apple does is like a lot of the third party companies build accessories around the apple ecosystem mm-hmm. so it's going to be very interesting to see like what kind of usb c port they're going to basically put in there so to give a bit of heads up it's going to be the same old shindig we're going to have a lighter frame, better camera, better battery. Probably it's going to be a titanium ca- casing around this time around and ev- everything else is going to be pretty much boilerplate. But that's the interesting part of this because we, Apple always prides itself on like being like like lightning was their main thing, like you could charge your phones quick. Yes. What happens now when you're on the same level as an Android device? So it'll be very interesting to see because at the end of the day we have the iPhone 15 which is going to come out very very soon and then next year is going to have the Vision Pro which is a $3500 headset so yes have you uh, had any have you got your hands on it yet uh i ha- no i no haven't one? like I, I, i i'm not sure if i will because again this is going to be a very exclusive device and my only question would then be like what's the point of said device i mean the tech is amazing don't mm-hmm. get me wrong like apple are a very forward thinking company in that respect but they do some very interesting things that you know question like people question the mold of like why are they doing such a thing well we'll keep you posted next 24 hours but yeah let's just say i'm not happy with my phone right now <laughs> feeling totally totally manipulated now i wanted to talk to you about well are we being monitored are our gadgets basically eve dropping on us because absolutely absolutely cuz cuz where i would say not even a pause okay yeah. when we think about our homes security cameras doorbells smart appliances are they invi- invading our privacy as much as our phones are listening to us and you know plugging in those ads here and there yeah i i would honestly think that like spying would be a very very weird word to use now because it's no longer like an illegal thing unless you're like not reading the terms and conditions of the privacy policy agreement you sign with the said brand mm-hmm. now one of the things that a lot of people are actually bringing this up right now is that privacy policy agreements do not have to be a 100 page document of legalese please make sure what you're tracking how you're tracking it and where is this data going that that's that's the three pillars of any data agreement and it should be very easy for people to know about this because that is what influences buying choices 
Now, it's an interesting time because smart, like smart appliances are going to be are becoming more and more comp- commonplace. Kevin Sebastian, what smart appliances do you have in your home? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> so my air fryer has Wi-Fi. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a very good air fryer. I can remotely cook it when I'm in the bedroom. <laughs> I just I just put it in there and I track it. And then I'm like, okay, cool. It's going to be done in 10 minutes. And I take a shower and I can go out of the shower. And I'm like, okay, now you can flip it over on through the phone. Wow. So uh, I, I, this is this is like first world problems, honestly. Uh, I just, though, because like I've seen even weirder things about like smart appliances having the ability to like have internet connectivity. One being... Uh, stove for example i mean like i get the air fryer thing but the stove is kind of weird because you're going to be cooking on the stove the stove has no right to have internet connectivity and i've seen some smart stoves i really have <laughs> i just feel like we are quite literally playing with fire i mean can <laughs> quite we- quite so yeah which is ironic because that smart stove that i saw the particular model which i don't remember because it had a very long european name at like when the time i saw it mm-hmm. actually has an ability to detect an if it's a gas leaking it'll actually shut it off on its own okay well that is useful I'll see, give, I'll see give that's that. the thing i'll give it that we are now in a very increasingly interconnected world right now like everything that we say or do can be tracked uh, even your appliance, like Google Maps, for example, how does it track traffic? It tracks the number of phones in a certain amount of, uh, in the vicinity, for example. Like someone tried to like game the system by putting 100 phones in a shopping trolley and literally like going through a road and he actually showed up as a red. So it's tracking you and that's 100% yes. But what people need to be more mindful of is basically understand that when you buy a product, you are now becoming part of the service. Uh, I remember coming on your show about five years ago saying that you should be vigilant if you really do not want to be tracked don't buy anything that remains the same stance now like you cannot avoid it anymore speaking of tracking tell us about a recent screening of the nun 2 uh, what happened in that movie theater, so i have to admit uh i wasn't a part of that because i am i'm not even gonna i'm not even gonna be ashamed of this i'm terrified of horror movies so am i um i would never see the nun 2 <laughs> I've heard it's quite good. I saw the poster. I've heard the, it's quite scary. The poster alone. I saw it in the McCarthy yeah. car park the day. I was like driving, I even driving what, fast past that. I mean, I mean, people weren't happy with the first one. I mean, they needed a second one. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> well, it was a very interesting uh, premise. And this is actually one of the interesting activations that tech companies have done here. Um, Samsung has launched the new Galaxy Watch 6. And they actually did this interesting activation where people who were invited for the screening had to like got to wear the device just to like track their heart heart rate during the movie and someone's heart like the average was 117 whoa on like the scariest moments but they actually had an interesting competition as well the person who had the lowest heart rate would actually win the watch oh cool as I so somebody know. actually won it and they had a registered heart rate of 85 bpm at the highest at, the, at their peak That's which just means that this person was extremely calm and like his lowest was like around 50 he was very athletic i'm sure but this was a person who watched watching a horror movie. So that's how calm this person was. But the, the, the main story is here uh, is that Samsung Galaxy watches are getting better at tracking your heart rate. Um, I have, like, again, the Apple Watch and the Samsung Watch both. I have wholeheartedly endorsed because the fall feature, game changer. Like, I can, like, ask my parents to wear that. And if something happens, I would know. Mm-hmm. Like, there's an emergency ring saying that your loved one possibly might have fallen. I would love that piece of tech. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, um, obviously 
this is what I have right now. It's what I'm wearing as well. So that what you're wearing? Yeah, I'm wearing. I, I took it off right now just to show people like what I'm wearing. So this one is the launch edition. So the Middle East actually for the for the change got a very exclusive uh, watch six. It's called the Astro Edition, and I'm a huge space nerd, and. I love the fact that there are constellations actually imprinted onto the ring of the the, the, the watch. So that is quite lovely. Uh, it's 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 overall solid, and like I've used it for some time now. Like I, I worn it with me, and it's done some crazy things. It's actually calculated by BMI. It can calculate blood pressure if you calibrate it with an actual blood pressure device. It can take an ECG reading. Wow! It obviously does tell you all the medical stuff. Saying, "Please do not see this as an accurate reading." No, no. This is just to like tell you about your daily health, and it also does a lot of things like calculate your fat mass and all of that sort of thing, which I would I really appreciate. Like I like having that data on my hand because that way I know how I'm how I can lose weight better. Like. I'm torn because yeah. I, I mean I'm wearing an analog watch. I, I'm, 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 I'm and kudos nothing. to you for doing that. Like it's I, yeah, because, mad respect. But obviously, because I feel like my Apple Watch was bullying me, being like, "It's time to stand up, <laughs> Helen." I'm like, "This is cyberbullying. Leave me alone." I'm just the I'm, rings, right? Like uh, uh, my wife is obsessed with those rings. Yeah, I don't care. Like, like everyone wants to compete on that level. No. But see, I get, I get it. Like. <laughs> Everyone wants to compete, and like it eventually helps everyone get better and be- get fit in the in the long run. Does you, does that one? Okay, two questions about the the Galaxy Watch Six. This is the Astro Edition. Yes. What about charging? How often are you having to charge it up, Kevin? All day battery life. Like I think that. Like, do you charge it every night? I charge it every night out of be- out of habit. I just can't be bothered to do but that. But this one can actually last an entire day without char- with on a single charge, which is like which is saying something. I think twenty hours is not bad. And on average, because I use it a lot, by the way. And for people who are just using it for like basic calls and features, you can obviously push it for much longer. And what about sleep tracking? Is that something it does? Yes. So I think one of the things that Samsung have really pushed hard this year, and, quite, and I, was very un- I was very amused when they did this, because I don't wear my watch when I sleep. Mm. Because... I put my hand under the pillow. That's just human behavior. And I don't like the fact of, you know, wearing a piece of tech. Yes. But Samsung are obviously pushing this huge thing on sleep awareness because sleep actually does involve a majority of your health. Well, they're going to have to make the battery last a bit longer in that case. Yeah, and I think that's the reason why they have all day battery life because at the end of the day, I think one of the, they have two main things here. You can charge your watch pretty quickly. Like, like, I think within 30 minutes, you're like almost like halfway through your battery. So it has really good fast charging. And the second thing being, and this was very creepy as well, it can actually detect how bad is your snoring. Because <laughs> it, it actually records the, the surrounding environment. No denying it. Yeah, so if you have a snoring problem, it'll actually tell you you might be having underlying health issues. Patrick's saying, I love my aura ring. Ask him if he knows it. I was with. The, I do know what an aura ring is. I think an aura ring is a pretty cool piece of tech. I do too. I was with, yeah. fr- with two friends at dinner at the weekend. They both had theirs, his and hers matching. Yeah. And having spoken to them, I was like, if I'm going to go down the tracking route, that's probably yeah. where I'd go. Absolutely. Like, make me a Lord of the Rings aura ring. I would buy that. There you <laughs> go. Down. They're just in a Gucci collaboration. Is that good enough? Yeah. Well, well, I'm no. not sure it's on. Maybe, maybe me, but as you say, Lord of the Rings, yeah. aura ring, Kevin Sebastian. Where can we find you, sir, online? You can find me anywhere on the internet. I'm Knox Voyager. There you go. News, reviews, his hot takes on the latest gadgets and the headlines too. But yes, you might want to turn the Wi-Fi off your air fryer. <laughs> it is listening to you as well as cooking your chicken tenders. It is Afternoons with me, Helen Farmer. If you want Kevin's details, send me the word tech. I'll send you his Instagram and you can find out more about everything that he's got going on.
talking education now and in today's rapidly evolving world, could it be the case that traditional education models alone are no longer sufficient to meet the demands, the speed of a tech-savvy society? So how can educators make sure the next generation are equipped with everything they need to tackle tomorrow's global challenges. With us now is Professor Dame Heather McGregor from Harriet Watt University here in Dubai. We were just talking off air about pivoting, about people using MAs, PhDs to change career. Can you tell us a little bit about why that might be and if this is a bit of a modern phenomenon, Heather? I think people do try and uh, and pivot during their career. I think the, the historical model of, you know, you go to school, you go to university to do a degree, you join a company and work somewhere for 35 years and then you retire. I honestly think that day has gone. And these days you're much more likely to go in and out um, of education during your lifetime, sometimes, you know, exclusively. So you might work for a bit and then go back for a master's full time and come back. But, or you might not. Interestingly, we teach all our master's programs in Dubai in the evening because people want to be able to carry on working and studying. But they're still doing that master's degree mm-hmm. with half an eye on, I want to do something different in the future. Which is exactly what my husband did at Harriet Watt. He had yeah. he had it an evening and a, and a Friday, as it, as it was yeah, then. In the old, I hope so. you declared a conflict here, asking me on when your it's, husband's an alumnus. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I would only recommend you guys because it's exactly what he did in terms of that pivot into a different stage of career. We know we're living a lot longer now. People might retire in their 50s, early 60s. And now, well, Helen, you are 70s. definitely going to be living a lot longer. I'm very glad you didn't ask me to bring my lipid profile uh, onto the programme. I just sat listening to that cardiologist thinking, Helen's going to be on the radio presenting for another 40 years. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I'm not going anywhere. Um, can I ask you, term has just started. Um, I've seen reports out of the UK about popularity of certain degree courses. Psychology, sociology were the big hot ones that were kind of for 2023. What about here in Dubai? What have you noticed in terms of trends and interest with this year's intake? Uh, Well, in Dubai, I'm sure it will come as no surprise to you at all to learn that the number one popular course to study is business. And I I think that, you know, that's really not going to be of any great surprise. I know you're going to talk about entrepreneurship later on. And interestingly, I think your discussion about genetics could keep going there because are entrepreneurs born or are they made? Mm -hmm. And I like to think that universities have a handle on some of being the making of future business leaders. Um, But after you set aside business, uh, psychology is very popular. We don't teach sociology. And I I think that because people don't see it necessarily as very vocational, Mm. uh, students in Dubai, you know, Dubai has has got no state provision of education. Everyone's paying. Um, And so if they're paying, they've got an eye on what am I going to do afterwards. Yeah, want that return on investment and be able to get into a job straight away. After that, computer science. Um, and AI, and uh, you know, people are very interested in that. And then the really interesting one that's crept up on the inside um, this year has been interior design, alongside actually architecture, which went ballistic last year. So the um, architecture, architectural engineering, mm-hmm. because you know you, you put up a building, but unless someone makes the guts of it work, you've got no hope. Um, and then interior design, and uh, I'm really interested. This, by the way, is all requires a lot of studio space. So we're very fortunate that we have 200,000 square foot that I can adapt to taking on more students with more studio space. So not all student uses the same amount of space and um, these sort of rushes to the door for interior design. If you're not mm-hmm. careful, they can really take you by surprise. Can we come back to the computer studies, Heather mm. McGregor, if you don't mind? You know, a couple of years ago, we were talking 
a lot about the metaverse. NFTs had their moment in the sun. Now, of course, as you alluded to, it's all about AI. Um, How agile are courses? How long does it take to perhaps adapt or add modules to make sure you're keeping pace with what's happening in the world? Well, you, you have to. Universities have to be very careful with um, adapting modules and so forth, because you know we're regulated by the Ministry of Education through the Commission for Academic Accreditation, as are you know many many other institutions in the UAE, and you have to get approval. So you can't just literally on a Monday decide to do something differently on a Friday and do it. You have to go through proper, and that's right and proper, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but what I would say is that AI, in particular. I don't think AI is going to take lots and lots of jobs. I think it's going to take lots of jobs from people who don't know how to use it. And so actually it's as important to teach people how to use it and that you can incorporate into every course and you do not need to have a wholesale submission to the CAA of right now we're going to teach a totally different course. Mm -hmm. You just have to take your existing courses and think how can we incorporate. If I give you an example about accounting. You, uh, these kind of professional degrees are always in, uh, everywhere in the UAE, not just us, always very um, popular. Um, in the old days, when you audited somebody, you would you would go into somewhere and you check, I don't know, every fifth receipt or something to, to audit it. Now, AI can check every receipt. and But your job as an auditor, therefore, is to look at the AI output mm-hmm. and decide. So we can still teach auditing. We can, don't have to change anything. But what we need to do is show them AI output and get them to comment. And to do that, we need to bring in to speak to the students people who are doing exactly that in their real-life jobs at the moment and get them to explain what they're doing. So the application and working in parallel. Yeah. As you say, it's not about replacement. I mean, to, to say don't use AI is like saying, you know, don't oh, use well, Google. totally you know, ridiculous. Of course, yes. of course. Um, but there are a lot of people going, it's a, it's a fad, it's going to pass. It's absolutely mm. not mm. the case. And you, I mean, pe- people, for instance, are you know, very anxious about ChatGPT and there's been a lot of, of discussion about how do, we, how do you stop students from handing in entire essays with ChatGPT. The, the answer is you adapt your assessment methods. Again, you wouldn't change the course, mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You, know, you would just adapt your assessment methods. And again, to do that, you do not have to go in for rigorous permission changes. So I, for instance, teach, still, I still teach because I think it's very important to lead by example and to not to do anything, you know, not to ask anybody to do something that I'm not prepared to do. So I, I, when I, when I um, assess the course I teach on, I ask people for a learning diary, you know, uh, you know, you, week by week, I want to know what you learned. It, it, it's, um, it's called a self-reflection essay. And you couldn't make that up. You couldn't ask ChatGPT, well, tell me. <laughs> what, what did I learn last yeah, week? Yes, tell me what Helen learned about uh, cardiology from that interview. They, the, ChatGPT might actually be able to listen to your radio show and give it back to you. But if I'm asking you for a diary of your learning experiences, you cannot fake that. Thank you for that. Joining us from Harriet Watt University, we've got the Provost Vice Principal, Professor Dame Heather McGregor. Can we, can we think even bigger, Heather, about the future of tertiary education? My children will, will might or might not go to university in 10, 12 years' time. When we think about some of the approaches that we're seeing internationally and from all sorts of different different walks of life, oh, could we even be moving away from that typical having the summer off? You know, could there be a case for, you know, really fast forwarding a three year degree into one, you know, condensing hours, getting rid of holidays? What, what kind of big, big evolution could we be seeing when it comes to universities? Um, well, we've been 
working with non-traditional learners since 1821 when we got set up because we set ourselves up to teach people already out at work in the evening. And at the time, 1821, this is pre-Queen Victoria. Okay? You you really didn't go to university unless you had lots of money and you could afford to swan around doing philosophy lectures and, uh, I don't know, having coffee or whatever. And then we said, okay, actually what we need to do is upskill people for, for jobs. And our first lecture actually in chemistry, can you believe it? And, and we were training people to go into man- skilled manufacturing jobs. Um, what I think now we're looking at is non-traditional learners in every sense. You know, so you're quite right. I think it's very unlikely that your children will will necessarily go to a straight, you know, school, university and so on. Yeah, that, that uh, model as we know it yeah. now. So if I give examples uh, in Australia, for instance, lots of universities allow school children to do university credit courses. I mean, you have to be pretty dedicated. Um, but mm. if you take, a, you know, one of your children, let's say that they decide that they want to work in radio production at 14 – and that's absolutely what they know they want to do. Why should they not be allowed to take a course in radio production at 14 or 15 and actually have got several university credits before they leave school? I think that's going to be the next development and change that we'll see on the ground here in the UAE. What do you think that generation is going to be studying? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, most important thing is that we encourage them to study things that will help solve the next big problems of the world. And... Uh, that means there's a few things. First of all, it's got to be interdisciplinary. Uh, you, you, you know, you you can't solve a problem by a single thing. You know, accountancy on its own sorry, won't solve uh, problems. Mm-hmm. You you've got to yes, we need accountants, but we need them, for instance, to be able to report on climate change, and we need them to be able to report on sustainability uh, and so on. You you've got you want engineers, but you want engineers who also want to minimise the carbon footprint. Yeah, looking at energy solutions, yeah, energy solutions. Yeah, I want to move into a house that isn't causing me to fund the whole of Dewa's working capital. Mm-hmm. You know, every single month, and. That's what I think we will see is we want to encourage people to study things holistically and on an interdisciplinary basis so that they can solve the problems of the world. Thank you so, so much for coming in today. It's really, really fascinating to hear what's happening just next door at Harriet Watt. Um, is there any opportunity to be joining any courses? Are there any workshops or part-time opportunities if people are looking to pivot, upskill and continue their education, whatever stage of life they're in? Yeah, well, um, it's right. Yesterday is the second day of the semester, and we allow people to enrol in the first three weeks. We draw a line out of that. Uh, so, if you're looking to do a master's degree or to pivot, or you want to study in the evenings, come along. If you'd like to do something online, go on and have a look at it. Um, and we're not the only show in town. There's plenty of other opportunity around. I, I would like to say one thing, though, which is the, the global challenges issue, which I think is going to come to the UAE more than anything else, because we are going to be hosting COP28 uh, in December, where the world is going to come here to talk about climate change. There's going to be the most amazing opportunities for school children. So if you're listening and you want to participate in that, please email me. My email address is findable online on the university website, because we're going to be putting on two weeks of amazing participation opportunities and and i think that's when we will get the opportunity to show the next generation what kind of opportunities they might have in the future and really bring it to life with your permission would be okay to share your email address yes absolutely okay tell you what if you send me the send me the word learn to 400 and i'll connect you with professor dame heather mcgregor from harriet watt university thank you so so much for your time really fascinating and plenty to think about plenty to think about including how i'm going to lower my my cholesterol (laughs) i'll connect you with dr hassan
We're talking ghosting. It's the psychology hour. And ghosting, while unpleasant, isn't a rare phenomenon at all. In fact, a recent survey found that 82% of women and 71% of men have been involved in ghosting. The main reason cited is avoiding confrontation, which I get it, makes sense. A lot of people are conflict averse and in this digital age, it's 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 easier than ever just to push the problem away by blocking or muting that person that you're cutting ties with. However, according to this study, people who ghost their friends in particular are more likely to experience depressive tendencies in the months following. So we are talking ghosting. We think about it a lot in a romantic context, but we've also had messages regarding friendships and also in the workplace too. To guide us through the topic and offer some insights into the psychology of it is Dr. Thryer, clinical psychologist from the Human Relations Institute and Clinic. Now, we I'm using ghosting in a very kind of everyone knows what I'm talking about but maybe people listening today are like why is Helen talking about Halloween and you know far before October 31st so when could you explain what ghosting is and and, and let's use dating in, in in that context to kick off with Dr. T. So essentially ghosting is basically the a form of communication where it's an extreme form you can consider it kind of like the silent treatment. So what you're doing is you're communicating in a way by not communicating and blocking the person or limiting their access to you and any kind of communication with you. So that's essentially what ghosting is. What's really interesting, though, is that the term ghosting was put into the Merriam-Webster Dictionary in 2017, and that's only five years after Tinder was created or went online. And so it seems like there's this... Um, dating culture that has created ghosting and has amplified it since then. So why do you think ghosting has become such a prevalent issue in today's dating culture in particular? Because it is very much common vernacular. Mm. I think most people listening today have done a cheeky ghost themselves, whether we like to admit it or not, or have had that, you know, confusion Mm -hmm. about that being the end of a relationship. I think one of the first reasons is what you've already mentioned, Helen, is just to avoid confrontation, is avoiding difficult emotions, discomforting emotions, having difficulty in in discussing something that could be either painful for one or the other person. But also, I think it's just really easy and very convenient to walk away from something than it is to have that conversation where it's like, you know, this is what I'm experiencing, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm feeling, and so on and so forth, and and waiting for that reply from, from the other person. But I also think at times it can be unintentional. Some people believe that, you know, uh, um, you know, ghosting is purely malicious, but there are times where somebody is really busy at work or something mm-hmm. is happening and then they forget to, to message and then, you know, all of a sudden your, your WhatsApps are like oh, all the way on the bottom. That's me. And then that's you just me. completely forget to, to contact that person. So, it's 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 quite different. So we don't want to think of it as something black and white, you know, in terms of it's malicious and that's it. Yeah, I, I apologize to anyone. Anyone that contacts me during the show between two and five, I might pick up my phone during the news when I'm having a drink and I'll like I'll go, oh, yeah. And then I get back into the seat and I'm driving home and I get into the house and the kids and I'm like, oh, yeah. I remember getting that message three days ago. Um, a message here saying some people ghost people because the other partner or friend is not respecting swearing, abusive, emotional abuse. Mm. So in that sense, it becomes a no contact of saying, I don't feel like I need to, you know, warrant. What what does a warrant a response in in that sense? So can ghosting be a a form of boundaries? Um, no. (laughs) And I'll explain why, because I think ghosting can, can happen afterwards. But that initial boundary letting your voice come out and say, this is unacceptable. I do not accept anybody speaking to me in this manner. If you continue to do so, I will 
X, you know, block you, ghost you, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then if they continue then to use it as a boundary, yes. But to just use it off the bat, I find that detrimental to you because what you're doing is you're not allowing your voice to come out. You're not allowing your truth to be heard. Makes sense. Dr. T with us this afternoon. We're talking about the psychology of ghosting. talk about a hot topic we are discussing ghosting on the show today and we've i'm trying to get my head around it to be honest i think it is quite a complex one the the reasons behind someone might just disappear from somebody's life um their motivations and ultimately the impact it can have on the the ghosted psychologically can you speak to that dr thryer clinical psychologist um we're not going to role play (laughs) as much as i enjoy that um but let's let's say Let's say we've had a few dates. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going pretty well. We had a date in the diary for next week. My follow up to say, just to let you know, I've booked this table and nothing. Right. Yeah. How common is this? Unfortunately, a little bit too common. So a lot of the dating sites, even social media is kind of increasing this tendency for people to just disappear because they don't actually want to just, you know, communicate with the person and say, you know, had a great time. It's not really what I'm looking for. Appreciate you. It's not about you, but, you know, it's just it is where I am. Right. Um, And people are struggling to really speak up and and mention and talk about these things because they're so worried about the backlash or they're just worried about even saying it to begin with. And so what's happening is that people are just walking away. And that's extreme silent treatment, because what ends up happening is that the person who's being ghosted ends up confused ends up feeling rejected, abandoned, you know, they they start to worry about what did they do? They you know, their self-esteem gets that gets hit, their confidence gets hit, and they start to actually wonder whether or not they should be a part of this world, whether it's the dating online app world or it's the just dating world in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Message here, anonymous message, and you can of course leave your name off doesn't matter. Saying, "Why does it hurt so bad?" to get ghosted i didn't know a guy for long i wasn't in love but i can't get over it it's been Mm. two months can't stop overthinking become obsessed how can people be so cruel and leave without a simple explanation that's all i needed even an excuse confidence is completely ruined i feel really naive and stupid um please don't tell me to forget and um i just can't forgive myself for trusting people so quickly Mm. that's you know unfortunately what happens when especially when it comes to ghosting is that our abandonment wound gets gets triggered and In essence, we all have abandonment wounds because, you know, no parent is perfect. And so essentially we have that fear of rejection that underlines a lot of our abandonment wounds. And so when something like this happens, that gets, you know, poked at. And then we go into this, why is this happening? What did I do? And that that confusion. I'm not going to say just, you know, forget the past because that's not valid. But what I will say is try to remind yourself that if a person had proper communication, then they would have communicated something to you. But clearly this person didn't. What's important to hold on to is the fact that this is not a reflection of you, that this is a reflection of their inability to communicate effectively. What would you prefer? Someone to say, you know, it's it's not you, it's me and, and come up with, with an excuse about, mm. you know, work's really full on right now. And I thought I was ready for a relationship, but I'm not. Or just no contact. I would prefer honesty, to be honest. So would you, should you call out a ghoster say they haven't blocked you Mm. say we've made that date and i've sent a message going just wanted to confirm we're still on for blah 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 next week um nothing on the day of you know would you ever be tempted to be like what what is this what's going on 
Um, I wouldn't necessarily ask what's going on, but I would communicate. I'm not. I'm that person, though. I'm very authentic and very genuine Whereas in general. I'm very British and would rather die. <laughs> So I would actually just say, you know, I don't appreciate that you're not responding to me. You could have easily said that you don't want this to continue. Anyways, good luck. Have have a great life, you know, something like that. But I wouldn't necessarily just accuse or what's going on because there is a possibility that the person got hurt, was in an accident, <laughs> is sick. There's a, there's always different possibilities, you know. So so that's why I give them the benefit of the doubt. But then if nothing, then just you decide for yourself to to end it at that moment rather than, you know, just allowing it to phase and it's weirdness. Well, we've had a message here saying, if someone ghosts you suddenly, is it better to let it go and move on or try to send a message and communicate and end it in a mature way? Explain we're not on the same page and wish you the best. If you're doing that, you may be doing it for more of your own sense of closure. Oh yeah, for sure. We're not, this type of behavior is definitely not done for the other person or to get any kind of closure from the other person. It's more you're giving yourself that sense of I'm going to behave according to my value system Mm -hmm. and I'm going to behave in a way that's going to give myself closure. It's not about the other person. Dr. Thry with us, clinical psychologist. Dr. Thiraya, clinical psychologist at the Human Relations Institute and Clinic is with us now as we talk about the psychology behind ghosting. Now, I immediately think about this as being a romantic phenomenon, but I've been really quite taken aback by the number of messages we've had about friendships. So I'm going to start with this one. Um, No name. You can, of course, be anonymous when you're getting in touch. Saying, if a friend ghosted you almost a decade ago, sought therapy, realised it was a cruel overreaction, used a defence mechanism, and it was a clear flaw that she was working on, would you want an apology or not? It's out of deep regret and shame for having hurt someone I cared about, not because I want anything from her by apologising. Am I unreasonable to say sorry, or should I leave it alone? We live in the same community, so do run into each other from time to time. She's always polite, but I feel nothing but guilt. I haven't yet had the courage to admit how hurtful my actions were, and I'm ashamed it's taken until my mid-40s to realise how emotionally immature and perhaps mentally unwell I was back then. I'd like to make amends, but do you think it would be welcome? Well, whether or not it will be welcome is is a hard question to answer. However, I do always believe it's never too late to say sorry. And if it's something that you feel is important for you to do for yourself, then I would always encourage that. I would too. I would too. All the best. Please let us know how that how that goes. Um, Biko's been in touch saying, eight years ago, I was ghosted from a lifetime friend after 15 years. I tried calling her so many times to understand what happened. She kept saying nothing. I can't get over her, even though my life is so busy. I've seeked therapy with no luck. I'm really hoping this conversation can help me. It's that unresolved abandonment wound yeah yeah what advice would you give to this listener dr t well one of the things that you know is quite difficult in that situation is dealing with that pain that you feel that that feeling of being rejected Mm -hmm. and that's not easy because it's not just tied to the friendship disappearing or the friend disappearing but it's also tied to a lot of other things as well so sometimes you really need to kind of dig deeper and give yourself that love that you feel that you haven't been getting from this person and and kind of work with your inner child, right? And give that inner child that love and that care and be there for them. Um, in, in terms of working through that, you know, it's some people say, okay, go, go speak to the person. Some people will say, just leave it and let it go. What I usually say is first work within yourself before you can decide what you want to do moving forward. 
Um, and no name on this one saying, talking about friendship ghosting, I've had this happen to me quite a lot since becoming a stay-at-home mum. I feel like there's a friendship chemistry, numbers are exchanged, a few messages exchanged, and then I never, and then I never hear from them again. Definitely noticing a pattern recently. Not sure if this is a Dubai thing or me. I mean, that's an impossible question to answer. Right. <laughs> but what what comes to mind there, I mean, when we're thinking about... I I always find it quite interesting to think about how we meet people in Dubai. Mm-hmm. And I look, I don't think any of them are still here, so I can say this. When I look back at the people that I was like hanging out with when I first moved here, a lot of them were, I was really desperate to forge friendships really mm-hmm. quickly. It was a bit like university, you know, that freshers week, like you want to go, okay, who's going to be my buddy as we navigate the nights out and the study and right. the da, 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 da. And then you kind of go through and like, what was I thinking? Like that friendship was never going to go the distance, but... Mm-hmm. We become friends for different reasons in different seasons. And I think new motherhood is actually a really interesting one because we feel like we should, we must have mum friends. Right. And we go along to these, quite frankly, awful coffee mornings and try and find a new, trust me, Dr. Two. <laughs> Horrendous. Um, and try and find new mum friends. Mm. And then maybe reflect and go, actually, that's not, that's not really what I need or that what that person might I don't know it's really it's, it's really hard do you think it is a bit of a Dubai phenomenon Are I think it's, it's it's a bit of a lot of things so usually when you become a new mom your friends that are not mothers uh, or are you know mothers of older children might not be in the same place as you are so the tendency is for some distance to to take place mm-hmm. uh, but if you're a new mom and you're trying to meet other mothers there's also that thing of like they're busy I'm busy we're all busy we're kind of like stuck in, you know learning yeah. how to navigate this new world but at the same time there has been a lot of proof and evidence to show that Dubai is very transactional in yes. terms of its friendships and its relationships as well and so the tendency is for people to only reach out not all the time but more often than not uh, especially new relationships or new friendships they reach out more often than not when they need something i think it's also really important to stress especially with you know new and young parents just how busy people are Mm -hmm. and you know when that momentum is lost it can feel a bit awkward to then get back in touch with somebody and be like hi we met you know three weeks ago and just wondered if so and so and we feel nervous so sometimes ghosting isn't vindictive it's not conflict avoidant sometimes the momentum is just gone right does that make sense yes it does absolutely but it's it's hard then to get a bit of that kind of sense of closure and to not have those unanswered questions of exactly as this listener's saying is it me? Mm. It, it is very, very, very unlikely to be you. Right. I mean, more often than not, I always tell people that if somebody has a problem with you, even if you are doing something wrong, that sense of communication that they can have with you is so relieving. But when a person doesn't communicate, even if it is you, then that's more about them than it is about you. Because in essence, that negative or ineffective communication is what's destroying the relationship. I had a message here saying, how do you deal with family who ghosts try to make plans with cousins not immediate family they say yes to plans and then completely ghost with that explanation then we meet she's like omg i miss you let's make a plan mm. family is a little bit tricky especially um when you're dealing with boundaries and when you're dealing with something like this but what i would recommend is that try to match effort levels so if you're putting an effort and the person isn't putting an effort then kind of leave it and wait for them to put in the effort Mm -hmm. and then if you see that it's not there communicate that be like you know what in these moments we do have these conversations where you say let's meet let's meet but there's no effort coming from your side i'm just wondering if there's something and if not i just feel like i can't put in so much effort when it's not reciprocated i have a message here saying sometimes they're just not that into you (laughs) 
<laughs> Isn't that a movie? <laughs> yeah. Yes. But it's... It, I mean, yes, that's that probably is the case. It's just the method of communication. And, you know, we're thinking about it being more prevalent now with dating apps. But, you know, historically, would it be an unanswered, you know, an unanswered letter written right. with your, you know, your quill and ink? Is, is, I, it, is I, it a new thing? I think so. But I, or, or it would come back to you unopened, right? At least that Return in and of sender. Exactly. That's even more brutal than <laughs> but, not getting But an that answer. is a message, right? I mean, at least it's not ghosting. It's, it's something being sent back to you. It's information. Right. Last question. I'm going to quickly squeeze this in. Just saying, um, my husband's been ghosted by a number of recruitment consultants and also um, internal recruiters. Have discussions, sometimes get to third or, se- or um, second or third round conversations. Um, if you contact contacts them a week later no reply he laughs it's crazy all these companies talk about their values then ghost people um is it is this a thing in modern recruitment i've no idea at all it really is and it's really sad it's becoming extremely unprofessional where a lot of individuals are going through interviews and they're not hearing anything back or even if they do get a rejection letter and then the person emails back and says could you please give me some information as to why Mm -hmm. the the company just completely ghosts them which is very strange it is, especially when, you know, Dubai is a small place. I think is our, is our parting words on this just do better. <laughs> Be professional. <Yeah. laughs> Be communicative. Yeah, I think do, do unto others as you'd like done to yourself, right. whether that's in the workplace and friendship or families. I like that idea about matching effort because mm. sometimes you can feel like you're give, give, giving and it's just an echoing void on the other right. side. Dr. T, any recommended reading around this? If anyone is really struggling with their mental health or self-esteem as a result of of ghosting, what would you suggest? Um, I I would suggest any book that has to do with abandonment wounds, any types of fear of rejection. Uh, There's a great book also called Courage to be Disliked by two uh, authors, and I will never remember their names. So I'll find it. Yes, thank you. And so that's a great book. Courage to be Disliked. Mm -hmm. That's, That's like a horror story for me. No chance am I reading that. You'll love it. I promise you, you will love it. Courage to be just like I'm Googling it right now. Dr. T, thank you so much. Um, am I going to have to say it? It's um, by, it's the Japanese phenomenon, apparently. Um, it's by Ichiro uh, Kishimiri and Fumitaki Koga. There you go. Japanese, not too shabby, but I'm not speaking Italian on the show this afternoon. <laughs> Dr. Thrai, thank you so, so much. You can find Dr. T and the gang there across all areas of expertise, from teens to individual coaching and counselling up to marriage as well. Very busy over there at the Human Relations Institute and Clinic. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.